Welcome to Breaking Down Patriarchy. I'm Amy McPhee Olabest. Today's text is Title IX, which is the most well-known portion of the United States Education Amendments passed in 1972. This is an incredibly important piece of legislation, and we're going to get into its history, the way it impacts people's lives, and the way it is or isn't enforced effectively. All of this based on just one sentence. Um, And just so listeners are aware, we are going to be talking about sexual assault later in the episode. Not a graphic description, but a true story on a sensitive and difficult topic. So please be advised of that. But before we begin our discussion, I want to introduce my reading partner for today, Whitney McPhee Griffith. Hi, Whitney. Hi, Amy. Whitney and I are sisters, and we have had the great fortune of living near each other several times in our lives, which is always a joy, but sadly, we live far apart right now, so it's been so wonderful to work on this project together, Whitney, and I'm just so very grateful that you were willing to talk about Title IX and share your experiences and share your wisdom, so thank you so much for doing this. I'm so happy to be here. Um, Can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? So um, we're sisters, but tell our listeners a little bit about where you're from and who you are, um, just so they can get to know you a little bit. Yeah, um, I'm from Colorado, mostly. (laughs) Uh, I've lived in many different places, but I spent my childhood in Colorado, um, then kind of slowly made my way to the West Coast. Uh, My husband and I moved to Portland from California a couple years ago. I really, really love it here. Um, I'm a pianist and multidisciplinary artist, and I'm currently working on getting a graphic design degree. Uh, My husband started a company a couple years ago, um, so I'm also sort of creative director, editor, photographer, digital content manager, web designer, morale coach, et cetera, for his company. It's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yes, you are an incredible artist. Actually, I love anytime you send me the stuff that you're working on. Um, Thank you. Yes. Yeah, yeah Whitney's amazing. Also a, an incredibly beautiful pianist, and I miss hearing you play the piano, Whit. Um, so you're too modest. You didn't mention all of your many talents. Um, but I also like to ask my reading partners also what interested them in this project specifically. So what brought you to Breaking Down Patriarchy? Uh, well, I love Breaking Down Patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so important to discuss, first of all, what patriarchy is. I think it's a complex topic that isn't understood well enough. Um, and I'm really grateful to join you in this conversation on Title IX. Uh, I have some personal experience with it. Well, thank you again for being here and being willing to talk about it. So I'm really, really um, eager to hear your perspective as we talk about this document. I've already learned so much by studying it with you. So thanks again. Um, Okay, so we're going to structure our conversation by explaining Title IX itself, talking about um, who the the major players were in getting Title IX passed and what its impacts have been. So, Whit, could you start us off by explaining a little bit about Title IX? Sure. So the official website, the U.S. Department of Education, says, and and quote, this is all that it says, uh, no person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance, end quote. Then it goes on to talk about the scope of Title IX. So Title IX applies to institutions that receive federal financial assistance from the Department of Education, including state and local educational agencies. Educational programs and activities that receive Department of Education funds must operate in a non-discriminatory manner. Some key issue areas in which recipients have Title IX obligations are recruitment, admissions, and counseling, financial assistance, athletics, sex-based harassment, treatment of pregnant and parenting students, discipline, single-sex education, and employment. Thanks, Whit. So there it was. There was the sentence um, that we talked about um, that protects people 
from discrimination in education, right? Any institution that receives federal funds. So any listeners who heard the episode on the book, Keep the Damned Women Out, about United States universities excluding women from educational opportunities will know why this legislation was so needed. And you also might remember many of our episodes um, from earlier that talked about women like Sarah Grimke, who watched from home while her brothers were sent to Yale, or the genius civil rights activist Polly Murray, who was rejected from Harvard solely because she was a woman. So yes, women have always been kept from educational opportunities that were available to men. And that's why this legislation, one of the reasons why this legislation was needed. Um, and so now because we we always talk about the authors of these essential texts, let's also highlight one of the primary architects of this statute, Patsy T. Mink. So Whitney, let's take turns telling this story and maybe I'll start out and then you can take the second half. Does that sound good? Yep. Sounds great. Okay. So Patsy Matsu Takemoto Mink was born on December 6th, 1927 on the island of Maui when Hawaii was still a U.S. territory. She was a third generation Japanese American. After graduating as valedictorian of the Maui High School class in 1944, she attended the University of Hawaii at Manoa for two years and then subsequently enrolled at the University of Nebraska. And as I got to that part in her bio, I thought, "Uh oh, this is not going to be good for her because it's 1944 and she's Japanese American and going on to the mainland U.S. at that time. Um, that cannot be good. And sure enough, um, her bio continues that she ha- experienced terrible racism in Nebraska and she worked to have segregation policies eliminated um, as a college student. But after illness forced her to return to Hawaii to complete her studies there, she applied to 12 medical schools to continue her education, but was rejected by all of them. Following a suggestion by her employer, she opted to study law instead, and she was accepted at the University of Chicago Law School in 1948. While at the university, she met and married a graduate graduate student, John Francis Mink. When they graduated in 1951, Patsy Mink was unable to find employment as a married Asian woman, and after the birth of their daughter in 1952, the couple moved to Hawaii. She was was refused the right to take the bar examination due to the loss of her Hawaiian territorial residency upon marriage. That would never have happened to a man, by the way. A man would never have lost his residency because of his marriage. So Mink knew that, and she challenged that rule. And she won the right to take the test, and she passed the bar. But because she was married and had a child, she couldn't find public or private employment. Um, So her father helped her open her own practice in 1953. And she worked as an attorney for the Hawaiian Territorial Legislature in 1955. She hoped to change discriminatory practices through law, and the following year, she ran for a seat in the Territorial House of Representatives. She won that race and became the first Japanese-American woman to serve in the Territorial House, and two years later, the first woman to serve in the Territorial Senate. In 1964, Mink ran for federal office and won a seat in the U.S. House of Representatives. She was the first woman of color and the first Asian-American woman elected to Congress, and also the first woman elected to Congress from the state of Hawaii. She championed the causes of education and child care, and in 1970, she became the first person to oppose a Supreme Court nominee on the basis of discrimination against women. In 1972, she co-authored the Title IX Amendment of the Higher Education Act, And it was later renamed the Patsy T. Mink Equal Opportunity in Education Act in 2002. So let's talk about Title IX's impacts now. And we're just going to cover two of them. First, we're going to talk about sports, and then we'll cover sexual harassment and assault. So Whitney, can you tell us a little bit about Title IX and how it affected women's sports? Yes. So prior to Title IX, uh, women were not only discriminated against in classes, they were also not given opportunities to participate in sports. Uh, In 1972, only 15% of college athletes were women, and in high school, only 7% of athletes were girls. Uh, 
and the girls' sports teams that did exist had to provide their own uniforms and equipment while boys' teams were paid for. By the way, this data comes from a TED Talk called Equality, Sports, and Title IX, and it's a really short, really effective little educational video. Uh, Anyway, after Title IX was passed, it became the law that a school that received federal funding had to provide equitable funding for girls' sports. And of course, when schools offered better sports programs, a lot more girls started playing sports. If you think back to some of the earlier books you talked about on the podcast, a lot of women in the 18th and 19th centuries argued that girls wanted to be active and play outside too, and they were so frustrated when they weren't allowed to. And men just argued by saying, girls don't like to do that stuff. And these women activists kept saying, yes, we would if we had the chance. So this was really the case right up through the 1960s and 70s and Title IX. Mm -hmm. So to all you listeners, if you're a woman who played sports as a kid or you're a parent who has daughters who play sports and those girls have uniforms and funding and a robust group of girls to play with and compete against, then you have Title IX to thank for that. Hallelujah. Yeah. Preach. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's true. It's true. And we don't even know, right? Like all my kids' friends who play sports and that's like the soccer is a huge part of a lot of these girls' lives. And you just don't even know that it was very recently that girls were even allowed to do that to get funding and they wouldn't have to do bake sales to pay for their uniforms when their brothers didn't. Anyway. Yeah. you don't. People don't really think about that these days. Yep. It wasn't that long ago. Um, So on the website of the famous tennis star Billie Jean King, who is featured on the movie The Battle of the Sexes, if you've seen that, um, it says, the impact of Title IX on women's sports is significant. The law opened doors and removed barriers for girls and women. And while female athletes and their sports programs still have fewer teams, fewer scholarships, and lower budgets than their male counterparts, since Title IX's passage, Female participation at the high school level has grown by 1,057% and by 614% at the college level. Crazy. Yeah. The impact of Title IX stretches into professional sports as well. So more opportunities have emerged for young women to turn their sport into their career, particularly in the WNBA. Collegiate and professional coaching opportunities have increased as well. That's awesome. It's just amazing, right, to think of all the girls and women who would have been interested in doing that, right? When you talked about the data that in 1972, only 7% of high school athletes were girls, high school level has grown by 1,057% of girls participating in sports. So like you pointed out, Winnie, I mean, just all the people who are saying like, oh, girls don't like sports. It's because they had never been given the opportunity to play sports. Clearly, they do. (laughs) Clearly, they do like to be active and physical. And it's just so awesome and so important. Okay, so now let's shift gears. And we're going to talk about another aspect of discrimination that Title IX covers, as we've um, alluded to, which is sexual harassment and assault. And I actually was having a hard time understanding how topics as different as girls' sports participation and sexual assault were covered by the same one sentence like we just talked about. Um, But then I looked at the Title IX website, and it helped me understand at least the logic in putting them under the same umbrella, even though, like we said, it seems to be not super effective. Here's the logic behind it. Um, The Title IX website says, quote, Advocates such as the American Civil Liberties Union, or ACLU, maintain that when students suffer sexual assault and harassment, they are deprived of equal and free access to an education. Further, according to an April 2011 letter issued by the Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights, Quote, the sexual harassment of students, including sexual violence, interferes with students' rights to receive an education free from discrimination, and in the case of sexual violence, is a crime. End quote. So Whitney, I know you've had personal experience with this. Um, could you tell us about that? Yes. Uh, I think the easiest place to start uh, is a couple years ago when I shared a very personal story publicly on Facebook. Uh, about an experience I had when I was in college. So I'm going to start by reading that post. It's time for me to share my story about one of the darkest chapters of my life. I've been trying to decide how I'd go about this and have been thinking very seriously about it over the past year. 
knowing I'd never feel like I'd be able to write it perfectly or feel ready to put myself out there like this. But the time is now. While I was at Utah State University in 2009, I was raped by an instructor in the piano department. I didn't tell anyone for a while until I sunk into a deep depression and everything in my life seemed to be completely falling apart. I called my dad one day about four months later in hysterics and told him what had happened. After discussing, discussing the issue with my dad, the Sexual Assault and Anti-Violence Information Office, and my therapist, I decided to report the incident to Title IX. It was one of the scariest things I'd ever done at that point, but I mustered all the courage I possibly could and read my handwritten statement and details of the events out loud. Their solution was to talk with this individual. They set up a meeting with him and the head of the department, and he was told to knock it off, essentially given a slap on the wrist. He said that he was sorry and that he was now on the straight and narrow and was turning things around, and that was the end of that. After spending one year away from the program, I returned, only to find that one of the required courses for piano performance majors was dropped from my schedule after the semester had begun, because the head of the department didn't want there to be any drama between me and the instructor slash rapist. I went to see the dean of the music school. He had called the head of the department without consulting me first, not to mention considering the confidentiality I was supposed to have had guaranteed, and they went ahead and dropped my class and waived the course requirement for me. They weren't giving me the education I was there to receive. Later that semester, I had a serious wrist injury that required surgery and left me unable to play with my left hand for about eight weeks. At the suggestion of the head of the department, I obtained the required signatures and information necessary to drop another course due to being unable to finish. It wasn't until I had my final grades, well after the semester was complete, that I saw that he'd given me an F in the course. When I brought it up to him, he refused to do anything about it. After hearing that this instructor, rapist, had also been assaulting other students in the piano program during the same period, my anxiety became so debilitating that I withdrew from USU altogether the following year. I tried to push through and get what I'd gone to USU for in the first place, an education, exceptional music and piano instruction, and a piano performance and pedagogy degree. I was living my lifelong passion and dream, but I couldn't do it. No one else who had experienced what I had with this rapist was willing or ready to talk about it, and I felt too alone and weak to carry on. I ultimately left Logan and, over time, rebuilt my life outside the piano world. Then, about a year and a half ago, I learned that even more students in the piano department had been sexually discriminated against, harassed, and assaulted, not only while I was there, but long before that and continuing after I left. Anyone who tried to bring up any mistreatment or other concerns, the head of the department would only punish the students more. In the past nine years, I've spoken with the Sexual Assault and Anti-Violence Information Office, Title IX, Law Enforcement, three attorneys, and the U.S. Department of Justice, both officially with a formal report filed and more off the record for guidance and consultation. I've grown and healed and become so strong, and I'm so grateful for my supportive family, friends, and therapist, and for my own strength in getting to where I am today. But I'm not done fighting. The fact that I've ch I have worked so hard to try to prevent this from happening to other students, and nothing has changed, only adds fuel to the flame. No one can change the past, but this problem within the USU music program needs to and can be fixed so that at the very least, parents can send their kids to this school knowing that they are going to get their education at the very least, and hopefully know that they are safe amongst faculty members. The meaning and power behind the Me Too movement has intensified for me in the past three days. All of this has been on my mind every single day for years, particularly in the past year or two, when the public spotlight has been on USU, and other universities for sexual assault cases. On Saturday, Amy Arakelian posted her story. I am blown away by the experiences she and her husband have had. Seeing the number of comments from people I don't know voicing their stories has been completely overwhelming. These aren't just people who have been discriminated against. These are people who have had experienced sexual harassment and assault in the same music program at USU, by the same faculty members. I don't have words for how appalling this is. It's time to do something about it. Every time someone bravely shares their story, we get closer to something being done. 
none of us are alone. Whether your story was isolated in terms of environment, abusers, rapists, or you are one of the many gymnasts in the Larry Nasser case, you are not alone. So if you have any experiences like this at USU, especially in the music program, please speak up. If you aren't ready to share anything publicly, that is 100% okay. It is your story to tell, no one else's. Please message me privately if you're willing to talk to me about it. With everything I have gone through and experienced, the least I can do is try to encourage others to tell their stories. We've been silenced for too long. Thanks for reading that, Winnie. I think you're so brave. And I'm really, really grateful that you were willing to read that and to talk about it today. Um, I so admire your courage. And you're a hero to me. So I'm, thank you. Thanks for talking about it. And I, I'm so um, impressed at the end when you, um, you find your voice, not only as a survivor, but as a leader, right? And um, invite and encourage and strengthen other people to come forward and talk about it and to, to make change. I think it's so powerful. So I'm wondering if you can talk about a little bit um, about what happened after you posted it. Yes. And thank you. <laughs> um, thank you for having me uh, here. And uh, I'm happy to share my story with you. And, and thank you. That was kind of you. Um, after I posted, uh, the post was shared, liked, uh, commented on by a few hundred people, um, a bunch of students from the program or who knew people in the program commented, uh, shared their stories saying like, oh, I had a similar experience. I thought I was alone. Um, or I knew someone in the piano department and I couldn't believe the stories I heard from her. Um, seemed like everybody kind of knew someone who had experienced the same things or just generally knew what was going on. Um, so I posted my story the, the morning after I posted, I woke up to voicemails from reporters, from local news stations, even one in New York. Uh, it kind of blew up. I wasn't really expecting it to. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, we did go through this experience together, right? So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm asking you these questions, but it has, I mean, we, uh, we did live right next to each other when this all happened. And um it was really one of the great privileges of my life to be a witness to this chapter in your life again and just see how brave you are. Um, so I'm going to, we'll just kind of go through kind of some questions and answers just for listeners so that you can kind of explain what happened. Um, so really quickly, tell us a, a little bit about um, what other people were reporting, just kind of to paint the picture of what the environment was like in the piano department at the time. Yeah, so uh, my friend Amy R. Kellyan, uh, who I mentioned in my post, uh, she shared her story uh, about the music program on Facebook first, actually. Um, she had some horrendous experiences, uh, as did her husband, who was an Armenian student studying at USU on a student visa. So Amy and Aram met at USU and they were married uh, a couple years after they left. Um, but faculty members uh, were spreading absurd lies about her having slept with every guy in the department. <laughs> the head of the program forced her husband to work for free, threatened to take away his scholarship, telling him he'd be deported because he would have lost his status. They told Aram that he needed to end his relationship with Amy and told him to inform Amy that they would not give her piano lessons anymore. So she ended up leaving USU just one credit shy of graduation. Uh, of and course. this is like this. I was just going to say this is just bullying behavior from the faculty. You're saying like yes. spreading the head of room. the program. And the, did they know why? Did they know why they were being targeted like that? Well, Aram was a very accomplished um, pianist who had traveled to Utah before college, even to compete in an international piano competition. He was highly sought after. Um, he was offered a a full ride scholarship to USU. And when he started dating Amy, the faculty members were really upset. They 
thought that she would be a distraction to him um, and, you know, take, take away his attention uh, and performance, um, which, you know, they thought would look bad, look bad for them. Um, so they, that's when they started spreading lies and, and trying to break up their relationship and, really like blacklisted Amy basically. Um, wow. So they, they both left USU without, uh, without a degree. Oh my gosh. I did not remember that. Yeah. So Aram actually um, finished his degree, then went on to get a master's and a PhD. Um, and now he teaches at an incredible music school in Indiana. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's striking me just that misogynistic environment of, like that they, cause I know, I mean, from, I remember at the time you telling me that they were being targeted, like they, they used his immigrant status against him and they used her gender against her, right? Like spreading lies that somebody is sleeping around or they're a whore. Like that's the oldest trick in the book mm-hmm. to intimidate and to control um, and to exert power over a woman, right? And then for them to be like, we're going to take your visa away and I and making him work for free. I remember you saying something like, made him like clean some professor's floor with a toothbrush or something, yep. like just demeaning. Yep. And uh, it just is a, I mean, unspeakably horrible environment for students. So yep. um, that's just fantastic that they were able to, rise above that and go on with their lives, but just, it just speaks to the kind of of environment. Do you want to just share like a couple more details? I know there's like a ton, but just a couple more things that were emblematic of the environment in the department. So actually multiple women were kept from graduating. So even after completing their coursework and other requirements, they would be denied scheduling their final senior recitals or even one time a student was stopped within the first 10 minutes of her performance and was told that they weren't USU material. So they didn't pass. And in this example, the student had competed in and won many local and national competitions. She was even named the most outstanding music student her junior year. She was an incredible pianist, but failed because she wasn't USU material, whatever that means. Wow. With just no explanation. So she just that felt was, like she was, was targeted because she, there was no, there was no explanation except she was a woman, right? Yeah. And in context, it seems like in context of all, maybe if that were like an isolated ev- event, it would be like, well, there's got to be more than more to the story. But then when you take it um, on a, a bigger scale and look at the um, the number of allegations of women saying like, I don't, is it just me? This weird, horrible thing happened to me. Oh, is it just me? Is it just me? No, it's not. <laughs> like when you take it in aggregate and you see like that pattern that was just, it was just like a rampant, I think you used the word infection at one point, right? That it was just throughout the whole program. It really, it really was. One of the piano program faculty members said that it could not be more obvious that the program had had uh, favored men over women. And it was common knowledge among students. Uh, He would frequently tell them, tell his female students uh, that males were better pianists and that women would give up once they got married and had babies or would become neighborhood piano teachers at best. So students were constantly under threat of losing their scholarships if the head was displeased with them in any way. Um, And uh, on average, women would receive 41 cents of scholarship money to every dollar the men would receive in scholarship money. Uh, And in some cases, scholarships designated for women were awarded to men instead. That's insane. And they they discovered that afterwards when they were doing like an investigation of the department, right? Yes. Based on your Facebook post. Okay, we're getting ahead of ourselves though. But that isn't, that's, yeah, it just goes deeper and deeper, right? As you discover more and more kind of rottenness in the system. Yes. Um, well, and to add to that, didn't you know personally like multiple students who you talked to and they would say, yeah, I'm not willing to come forward, please don't tell anyone. But yes, I've been sexually assaulted too. And I remember you said that one woman had been raped as a freshman, like years 
earlier by a different faculty member in the same department and nothing had ever happened, right? Yes, and that faculty member was still employed by the university at the time of my Facebook post in 2018. Um, And at least a year after that, in fact, I'd have to double check and see. I'm not sure if he's still there or if he's being investigated, but he was kept on payroll, um, you know, up until very recently or even even still today. That's crazy. Yes. Wow. And so many people, I think, I, I remember you telling me multiple women when you would talk to them and say, why didn't like, not why didn't you, but would you be willing to come forward? Um, and they would say like, no, I need my degree and I don't want my degree to be in jeopardy. I need to just, I remember, I have this memory, correct me if I'm wrong, but of you talking to someone and you never told me any names. I should be, um, I should make sure I say that you never told me names, but you would say, yeah, she just said she needed her degree and she just wants to get out of there as fast as she can because she's worried about retaliation. And then, and so many people, like you just pointed out, had been denied their senior recital, had been so terribly abused. And she's like, I'm not going to put my degree at risk by speaking out. So is am I remembering that right, Whit? Yes. Many people had very similar experiences and a lot of the same fears about reporting and retaliation. Even even those who just voiced concerns about the program, like in the the case with that student I mentioned whose senior recital performance was abruptly cut off, she had voiced some concerns about the department, and that's what ended up happening. It was retaliation for her to have been denied the rest of her performance and then a degree. There were There were plenty of instances where people would speak up about their concerns or they would file a report. And even ones who didn't really, I mean, there was, it was just this unsaid kind of keep quiet if you want to, if you want to survive in this program. Wow. it's awful. So what happened going back to your, your, when you posted your story on Facebook, what happened after you posted your story? Like, how did the university respond, I guess? (laughs) Um, After I shared my story, I heard from someone at the university once. Um, And it was a day or two later. And I got an email from the Title IX coordinator that was basically like, you know, if you would like to come back and finish your education, um, I'd love to talk about it. Uh, And (laughs) I kind of laughed, you know, I no thanks, not not really interested in going back. I responded to her and said that if she had any more information for me, I'd be happy to hear it. Uh, but I didn't didn't hear back from her. And that was the only communication I ever had with the university after my post. Uh, it's the only time I ever heard from them. Um, so wow. my post uh, initiated a third party investigation. So they, uh, the university hired some attorneys um, outside attorneys, and the investigation lasted about two months. Um, so this group of attorneys investigated whether USU and Title IX handled the situation appropriately, um, or whether uh, Title IX was in violation. Um, but even though it was my post that s- supposedly initiated this investigation, I was never actually interviewed. <laughs> So the lawyers reached out to me to see if they could ask me some questions. And I asked if they could send me the questions ahead of time so I could think it through. Uh, But then I didn't hear from them at all and had no idea what was happening. Um, But I heard from other students um, a few weeks later that they were wrapping up the investigation in a week or two. So I contacted the attorneys and said, hey, I hear you're almost finished with the investigation. I still haven't heard back from you. Um, Just kind of wondering if you're planning on talking to me, you know. Uh, And they said they had sent the the questions to me, um, which I never received. But they said that when they didn't hear back, they just assumed I didn't want to talk to them. So it turned out that they had sent the, the questions in an email to a really old email address, not even sure where they got that or why they had it. Um, and 
So I asked them to send it to my new email address. So they sent the questions to my new email address, and I took several hours to write out my answers thoughtfully. Um, It was very thorough. I sent it to them in the time that they requested, um, but I didn't hear anything back from them. So uh, a few days later, I called to follow up uh, and and said, you know, do you have any other questions for me? I'm, I'm worried about not hearing back from you. Can you at least confirm that you got my emailed uh, response to those questions? And they say they had gotten them um, and that they were still kind of processing a report. Um, and then a few days after that, they emailed me my portion of this report that they had compiled um, for me to just look over and to confirm um, or not, you know, whether I was okay to waive my right to privacy um, for when they released the report. Um, And when I got that, I saw that the information they had written about me was wrong. Uh, They had mixed details up with someone else's, maybe. Um, They said that I was in a romantic relationship with this instructor and said it had lasted for months. Um, I called them immediately and said, that's not true. Please take it out. Uh, And she would say, well, what if I word it like this instead? And I'd say, no, because that simply isn't true. Um, There was some more back and forth. um, But uh, they originally uh, fixed my story well enough um, in the report. But then when the report was released uh, a couple of days later, I saw that they had included the original false version of my story, as well as in the report saying that I was unwilling to be interviewed for the investigation. So that was the biggest slap in the face to me. Uh, I was furious. I had posted my story on Facebook because things needed to change. And I worked really hard to help that happen for me and for dozens and dozens of current and former students. So to claim that I was unwilling to participate in that was such a slap in the face. Uh, So the report concluded that the university did not handle the situation appropriately, um, and they recommended that the university make some changes. So it was a funny moment. Everyone was kind of like, oh, yay, finally, they listened, and they, you know, we did it. And I was like, did what? You know, nothing has changed. The Title IX coordinator was laid off with a hefty severance package um, about six months later, but that was really the only personnel change that they made. Um, The instructor who raped me was never fired. He actually had just left um, the previous school year, uh, so in 2017. Um, And the head of the music department resigned a day before the press conference. So, you know, he was not fired. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I remember how absolutely infuriating and frustrating that was. Um, But remind me if anything good actually did happen. I don't remember ever hearing about like, did the university, I know the president of the university said they were going to make a lot of changes, but like you said, the Title IX coordinator was laid off, but did anything good come of it at the university? Well, I think so. Um, I know that there were a lot of conversations on campus about what consent is. Um, And that actually started before uh, I shared anything about the music program. Um, But it was kind of, it was the timing. I think, you know, the spotlight was on them already, but they, they continued to have these conversations. Um, They started a campaign called Start by Believing to help survivors feel like they had been heard. Um, Mm -hmm. I think they have a couple of victim advocates um, there to provide support for survivors through the process. Um, and I've heard uh, from people that the environment in the program is a lot better now uh, because of the head of the department. Uh, he's gone now. Um, and there's a new head of the program who's wonderful. Um, so I'm happy to hear that at least um, some of the students and faculty feel like it's a better place to work and to mm-hmm. learn. Um And they generally feel safer. So that's, you know, that's really positive. Yeah, it's wonderful. And all because of you and your classmates and other brave people coming forward. So you're a hero and I'm so proud of you. So I have a couple other questions like specifically regarding Title IX. And one of them is like, how did you know what Title IX was? Did you know what Title 
line was? Or how did you know who to talk to when, when that horrible, horrible thing happened? How did you know? I didn't, actually. I didn't know what Title Line was. Um, I didn't know who to talk to. So I was seeing a dietitian at school at the time. Um, and she happened to share an office with the Sexual Assault and Anti-Violence Information Office, um, which they call Savvy. <laughs> um and when I was meeting with this dietitian uh, that summer, she could tell, you know, I was struggling a lot. She uh, gently was asking me what was going on. I slowly opened up to her about about it, um, what had happened in the program, and she walked me over to the savvy office. So that's where I talked to someone, gave, you know, a, a brief uh summary of the situation and they said yeah that's a big problem um they gave me some resources uh some materials to read basically um kind of informed me that i did have rights uh that what happened to me wasn't my fault that rape was a serious matter um and it was shortly after that that i made the decision to report it to title nine which i still didn't really know what title nine was um but I went to the office and that's where I met the Title IX coordinator um, and learned about filing a report. Okay, right. So you went to the office and what happened like in the Title IX office? Well, I went to the Title IX office. Um, really, I just wanted to know what my options were. So I hoped that someone would intervene in some way instead of me dropping out of school. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't. I, I just, I knew in that state, I couldn't continue in school. Um, and so, yeah, I was, I was just kind of desperate at that point thinking, what, what are my options here? I want, I want to, to keep studying piano. I want to, I want to finish, but something needs to happen. Mm -hmm. So what did they ask you to do? So they had me write down my, you know, fill out, fill out a form with my report of what happened. And I read my meeting and read my report in a meeting with the coordinator and another staff member. They took, they took notes during that meeting. And their response to my story was that um, they said I could report it to the police if I really wanted to, uh, but that it would be really hard to do anything without more proof. So they said they could investigate it, but I would have to come forward and share my identity. But at that point, I felt so stupid. Like my face was burning with shame. I thought, if this isn't going anywhere, there's no point in drawing attention to it and outing myself, potentially risking retaliation that may have been worse than the incident itself, which is actually what ended up happening. Uh, the process of reporting it to Title IX, having them dismiss me, and then the years that led up to 2018, where I shared my story on Facebook, those years were more traumatizing than the, in the initial incident. And that's a common problem. Uh, with victims of assault. Every time I would tell my story, it would be dismissed. It, it ended up coming back to me and, you know, it either not being a big deal or being my fault, all of the above. Um, and that, that was so traumatizing to go through that every single time. And for a while, I gave it a break because I thought this is, you know, that nothing is going to happen. And yeah, so I, I took a break from school. I initially was just like, okay, I, I tried, you know. Um, yeah. But they said they would talk to him. So they met with the dean and the head of the piano program and with him. And they basically told him to knock it off. And he said that he wasn't going to sleep with students anymore and that he was on the straight and narrow. Perfect. So everything was better. Great. So glad. <laughs> yep. Oh my gosh. Okay. Problem so, solved. Right. So then what happened af after that? So they said they were going to have some sexual harassment training, but they would, you know, keep, keep me posted on that. Um, in the meantime, I was just so full of anxiety and so depressed. And, uh, I, the, the next semester that fall, I just could not go back. So I dropped out. Um, and I went to Virginia uh, for a few months to live by our sister, Courtney. Um, but I was so devastated having left my piano studies out of fear uh, 
And I got really mad. I thought it was so unfair that I didn't get to finish my degree because of what happened to me. So I decided to go back and finish. (laughs) So I moved back to Utah, re-enrolled, started again as a music performance major. Uh, The first time I saw this instructor on campus, I had a panic attack, had to run to the bathroom and throw up. Um, I had to take a class from him, though. Uh, It was required for my degree, and he was the only one who taught it. So I just tried to push through, you know, put my head down and and go through the program, even though I was having a really, really hard time. Uh, But I got to class one day, and we had been assigned to groups. Um, We had to check this bulletin board to see which group we were in. And I noticed that I wasn't on any of the group's lists. So I went and asked this instructor uh, why I wasn't on the list. And he said I needed to talk to the department head. So after a big runaround, I finally talked to the department head. And he told me that they didn't want there to be any drama. So he had taken me out of that class. Um, And it turned out that it was him and the instructor and the dean who had made that decision to pull me out. So I was shocked. I said, I need that class to graduate. What, what am I supposed to do? And he said, oh, we'll just waive it for you. Don't worry about taking it. Uh, so I went straight to the dean's office, sobbing. I was so angry. Uh, my confidentiality had been violated. Uh, he said there was nothing he could do for me. Um, it was a really horrible semester. And when classes resumed after winter break for a new semester, I tried to continue with my classes, but I just couldn't do it. So after a month or two, I dropped out again. Yeah, it's so, so horrible. And I, I remember actually about that class when that happened, I remember you saying to me at the time, like, it doesn't solve my problem for you to just wave the class, right? Like if if other students are taking that class for the major, that's because it's a class that people need to have for their education. So I'm being deprived of the quality of education that other students are getting. I'm not getting a class that I need, right? And so don't take me out of it and just say like, don't worry, we'll just give you a subpar education. So I just remember how yeah, so it was almost like they were doing me a favor by saying don't worry, we'll take this off your plate. You know, you don't need, you don't have to, we'll, we'll wave it for you, you know, just just between us. Right. Exactly. And this, okay. So this is why like this story exactly speaks to what title nine is supposed to protect people from, right? This whole experience now in retrospect, looking back at it, knowing, understanding a little bit more about what title nine is, this helps me understand why sexual assault is under the Title IX umbrella, because at this point you were being discriminated against because of something that had happened to you at the school. Your education was being compromised and it was interfering with your education, not only because of the emotional distress and the terrible, terrible burden that you had because of this crime that was committed, but also they were taking classes away from you. So yeah, it just is kind of, it's helping me to understand Title IX better. And the frustrating thing is it's like, it's Utah State handled it as if they didn't even have Title IX. You would think like that this had happened in the 1960s or something when there was no recourse, when there were no structures to help survivors of of violence, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's so frustrating. Okay, so then, so... What do you wish had happened instead? Like that day that you walked into the Title IX office, what do you wish would have happened? Well, I, many things. Um, I wish there had been a victim advocate or someone who could just sit with me or, you know, help explain the process a little bit um, just to help me feel less alone and uh, scared. Um, and I kind of wish that there had been someone else there to witness that meeting, the meeting where I, um, read my report, my story out, uh, out loud to title nine. You know, I wish someone had been there. Um, most importantly, I wish that they wouldn't have dismissed my story and I wish they'd investigated the case, uh, or any of the, the reports made to title nine, not just mine. You know, I, they should look into these cases. They sat there and did nothing. Um, I wish they'd have taken it seriously. 
yeah, I mean, they, they, they should have investigated instead of just sitting down with the instructor and saying, hey, stop it. Um, and a lot of the issue was him having authority over me. He was in charge of my grades. He controlled whether I could graduate or not. Uh, and that's a huge problem that that the department couldn't address as they were really rallied around him. Um, mm-hmm. So they slapped him on the wrist for having sexual relationships with students. Uh, but that's not that's not what he was doing. And they didn't address the real problem. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, I guess we talked about it before, but that's what kept a lot of those things that you said just were things that kept other students from coming forward, right? Is that the department rallied around the perpetrator and rallied around that really toxic, misogynistic, abusive head of the department and multiple members of the faculty that they were in power. And that's why people didn't come forward, right? Is there like, (laughs) I'm the one that's going to end up coming away from this with, you know, with, again, without my degree, right? The power imbalance was just too great. Is that right? Yes, definitely. Um, A lot of people were afraid to come forward, myself included. I mean, I don't know how you wouldn't be nervous about that. Uh, But I mean, when you see students who complain about certain things, like not even about sexual assault or harassment, you know, people filing complaints for being humiliated in front of the other students by intimidating behavior, um, that kind of thing. I mean, they were completely shut down. Um, Some students filed complaints of sexual harassment and gender discrimination with Title IX in May of 2017. And by the time of the investigation uh, that they launched after my post in 2018, none of those students had received any kind of response from Title IX. Um, People should feel safe and able to learn in school. That's what Title IX is for. And I really can't tell you how many students over the years left school without graduating. Um, And one thing that came up a lot in the comments on Facebook was, why didn't you go to the police? And frustration with Title IX for not arresting someone. Why would any of us go to the police when we risked retaliation and shame turning to our own school's Title IX office for help, uh, only to be dismissed and retaliated against? And regarding the legal actions of Title IX, what people don't realize is that Title IX can't prosecute. Title IX is there to make sure their students can get their education and to make sure the university is not a hostile environment for students. This is a matter of civil law, not criminal. You volunteered with the organization Know Your Nine, right? Yes. Um, Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Um, Know Your Nine is a survivor and student-led organization uh, dedicated to educating students and survivors on their rights. Um, I wish I'd known about Title IX before all of this happened in 2009. I didn't understand what their role was really until many years later. Um, Know Your Nine lays out everything you need to know. Um, They provide resources, uh, for victims and survivors, and for students and really anyone else who wants to make change at campuses, um, and uh, you know there are resources for taking legal action if necessary. And it's a really wonderful organization um, that educates people. Um, I really wish it had been around in two thousand nine. Yeah, I do too. Well, Whitney, thank you so much for sharing all of this today. Like I said, you're incredibly brave and I admire you and I love you. So thank you. Um, As we wrap up, is there anything that you want to share in conclusion, like any takeaways? Yeah. um, I really, you know, it's not fair that students who have been through this, uh, who have who have been assaulted or harassed, discriminated against, that they have to take matters into their own hands. Um, and people would ask me, you know, why now? Like, why, why are you coming forward now? It's kind of funny because, you know, it isn't just this out of the blue uh, decision I made. Um, it's been ongoing hell for me. Uh, I went down many different avenues for years, um, hitting dead ends, 
you know, it, it led to me eventually sharing my story publicly. Um, and I didn't do that until I felt I was in a good enough place emotionally to do that. Um, mm-hmm. That's definitely not for everyone. <laughs> um, and it's important for me to speak about this so that people are aware. Um, and so students and survivors know their experiences are valid. So there are people and laws dedicated to this and organizations like Know Your Nine. And there are so many ways we can help improve the system and make sure survivors are heard and believed. Um, and Know Your Nine has a great list of options for this. It really took a toll on me to take to social media. I don't regret it, but I'm grateful to know that there are several options for people to take to to make change. So it's been a it's been a wild <laughs> few years, but I feel optimistic about it and really hope that I can help educate other people on this important topic. What are your takeaways, Amy? Um well, again, my biggest takeaway is again just pride at how much change you affected at Utah State by raising your voice because like you said and you just mentioned it in passing and didn't take the credit for it but it is a different music department now and um you were a part of that if not like the reason that that whole thing changed and you I mean I guess we'll never know how many people you saved from experiencing um all of you know those behaviors of just being belittled and harassed and discriminated against, and if not saved them from sexual violence. And so I, I mean, that's my biggest thing is just what a hero you are. Um, another takeaway, I think, kind of has two parts. On one hand, I feel a lot of gratitude, um, and on the other hand, I have a greater awareness of the work that still has to be done. Um, I feel grateful that we live in a time and a place where if we do experience sexual harassment or assault or discrimination, that there are laws that are intended to ensure that justice is served. So at least we have that. That law did not even exist, like we talked about, for our grandmothers or any generation of women before them. And so I feel grateful for Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Billie Jean King. And now I know about Patsy Matsu Takemoto Mink. And feel grateful for her. But on the other hand, I feel saddened as I reflect that, number one, there's literally no legal recourse still for so many women all over the world. Um, Even in our own country, actually, undocumented women, for example, fall through the cracks of the system. And they often deal with unthinkable abuse in silence because they're too afraid to report the abuse because of their undocumented status. And also, there are a lot of women who, as you said, they don't come forward because they're afraid of an outcome that, like, I think of... Um, Anita Hill or Christine Blasey Ford and you, honestly, I mean, you affected so much change in the university, but if you look at it in terms of like, were the bad guys punished? Not really. And I mean, I have to say though, honestly, as I say those names out loud, Anita Hill, Christine Blasey Ford and you, I feel like even though technically justice wasn't really served, each of those women changed and affected the conversation, right? Each of those women changed institutions and each of those women empowered other women who heard them speak to speak out themselves. And so actually it's not a loss and it's not all for nothing. Each of those women made a huge impact, including you. So again, that, I mean, that's my takeaway and Again, just Whitney, thank you for being here today and thank you for telling your story and for offering such a beautiful example of strength. Thanks, Amy. And thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Love you, Whitney. I love you too. (laughs) Okay. Well, our next document on breaking down patriarchy is on a tender topic, just like today's topic. It's the legal case Roe versus Wade. You can find it easily on Google Scholar, and I found it 
really interesting and actually really easy to understand. Fascinating reading. I had never read the actual document Roe versus Wade before. And I will be joined by another thoughtful, intelligent woman for the discussion. She's a labor and delivery nurse, and she has dedicated her life to women's and babies' health. So if this is a difficult topic for you, this might be a good way to engage. Um, first, by reading the unfiltered original words of the document itself, and then by listening to two women who will discuss this topic with the clearest and most rational minds and the gentlest of hearts that we can. So join us next time for the discussion of Roe versus Wade next time on Breaking Down Patriarchy. Patriarchy.